At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little more about you to make that possible. So go to podsurvey.com slash artofman and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way, we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's podsurvey.com slash artofman, A-R-T-O-F-M-A-N, podsurvey.com slash artofman. Thanks for your help. This episode of the Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you by Online Great Books. If you've made a goal for yourself to read the great books of the Western world, but have had trouble following through, check out Online Great Books. It's an online platform. You sign up. They're going to mail you a physical copy of the book that you're assigned that month. They're going to provide you a reading schedule and send you reminders on how you should read so you can keep pace. Then at the end of the month, you're going to have a online video seminar where you can discuss the book with other people in your group. So if you want to learn more about this, go to onlinegreatbooks.com. And when you're ready to sign up, use code AOM at checkout. You can save 25 percent on your first three months. Again, onlinegreatbooks.com, code AOM at checkout to save 25% on your first three months. This episode of the Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you by New Mexico Tourism. Here's a bit of trivia about myself. I've got family roots in New Mexico that goes back to the 1600s on my dad's side of the family. Still got family there. My mom's side, my grandparents lived in New Mexico. My grandfather was regional forester there. So I made a lot of trips there and I still make trips to New Mexico because it's one of my favorite states. First off, landscape, gorgeous, big open skies, beautiful deserts. They've got mountains. They've got forests. They got the white sands, which is also really cool. So I love the scenery. One of my favorite things to do is just take a road trip to New Mexico. Food is amazing. They put green chili on everything and it's fantastic. And there's so much to do. In Albuquerque, they got the Hot Air Balloon Festival. It's coming up here in October. I did that as a kid. If you got kids, take them to that. It's amazing. We went to Santa Fe a few years ago. Lots of art, lots of history. This summer, my wife and I went to Taos for a few days, saw Kit Carson's house and his grave, saw a lot of great art and ate a lot of delicious food. So if you haven't been to New Mexico yet, I'm a big New Mexico booster. Go check it out. Make a visit there. It's a great road trip. You can learn more and plan your next trip to New Mexico by going to newmexico.org slash manliness, New Mexico true. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Procrastination can be a big stumbling block to our success in life. If you're a student and you put off studying at the last minute, you might not do as well on a test. If you wait to start saving for retirement until you're in your 40s, you lose out on the power of compound interest. We know that we need to do certain things sooner rather than later, but we don't. Why? My guest today is Dr. Pierce Steele, and in his work and in his book, The Procrastination Equation, he's distilled all the research out there on procrastination into a kind of formula that explains why we put things off. Pierce explains why his approach to procrastination is different from that taken by many psychologists and what those other psychologists often get wrong about its root causes. He then digs into the different components of why we procrastinate, as well as actionable advice on how you can mitigate these issues and start getting more stuff done. After the show's over, make sure to check out our show notes at aom.is slash procrastination equation, all one word. All right, Piers Steele, welcome to the show. I'm a pleasure to be here. So uh, you published a book a few years ago 
called The Procrastination Equation, How to Stop Putting Things Off and Start Getting Stuff Done. In fact, you are a professor, you're, you've got a PhD, and you decided to study procrastination. Well, like, what, how'd you decide that? Were you, were you like a, a chronic procrastinator your entire life? You decide, I'm going to get a handle on this by getting a PhD? Yeah, yeah, that uh, you, you just, you, I, I feel so exposed right now by you. Um, you saw through everything. That's exactly actually what happened. Um, a lot of people say research is me search. So here am I struggling with it. I had enough going on, but barely just to get into a kind of a, a PhD program. And I had an opportunity to study something that was near and dear to my heart. And I, you know, I, I found my passion. So I'm curious, how did you do your research? Like, how have you figured out? Because like, unlike a lot of other people who've talked about procrastination that tend to get Freudian about it, uh, you get a little more, I don't know what the yeah, right word is, yeah. concrete. So what's your approach to procrastination? Well, I could, like, I mean, I, I, there's a lot to kind of unpack here. Um, one of the, the best like actually gathering the raw data was I had a wired classroom. You know those massive open online courses that exist nowadays? Yeah. This was an early, yeah, this was an early version of them. So it was only about 200 students, but each piece was uh, delivered by a computer. Now, actually back then we had to go to a computer lab, but there was lots of labs around the university. So students can do it at their own pace. Well, this was well known for being a hotbed of procrastination, you know, and you could actually, though, and in a very detailed way, determine when people actually did the work because there were 77 different assignments. So some people, you know, were slow and steady, but most people did it later. And some did, I think, about 75% of the course in the last week. So we got a lot of good information from that because it's kind of hard to measure procrastination over any kind of really meaningful time. I sure you can bring somebody into a room and you know say you have to do this in an hour or half an hour and then see when they do it. But really the big ones you want to see how people act over several months and this was perfect for it. And the other technique that I'm really kind of known for is something called meta-analysis, which is uh, essentially the study of studies. So I'm really good at unpacking the component parts of other people's research and then reassembling them into a coherent whole. And part of that actually eventually led to a, a single theory and an equation. And there's an actually a procrastination equation to explain why people do things when they do and why they put stuff off. Well, I think that's interesting because we've had other people, psychologists who've studied procrastination, that's their expertise. And they, they tend to take an approach where it's not an equation, right? It's like, well, you procrastinate because you're, you're perfectionist or you're scared or, you know, like I said, it's kind of Freudian, but like you, you kind of look at like, no, it's like, it's not that it's like, it's these specific metrics. There's real problems with that theory. Yeah. Well, what, what is the problem? Well, the problem with that one is that you actually go and study people who are perfectionists and see how well they're associated with perf- you know, procrastination. You find actually perfectionists, this typical one, procrastinates just a little bit less, not more. Just, and just, a, just a smidgen less. And you say, well, that can't be if this is a major cause, right? 
and but they tend to feel worse about it. So what you find is, is that people who are perfectionists and they procrastinate, well, they're much more likely to seek clinical help. So these clinicians are seeing a lot of perfectionists, procrastinators. But that is, that's, that's just simply um, selection bias. So they're based on their own personal experience. And also, you know, people are saying, oh, yeah, you know, when my perfectionist comes around, I put things off. But there's a lot of reasons people put things off. I mean, actually, the most popular one isn't has anything to do with perfectionism. It's, it's, it's wanting to be with your friends and socialize. And, you know, and other weird things. I mean, 95% of the world procrastinates, so 95% of us are perfectionists. That means, like, is there anyone not a perfectionist? It's, um, they had certain type of intellectual tools and mindsets available to them, and they use them, you know. When you have a hammer, you know, everything becomes a nail. Okay, well, so let's talk about what you've found. Well, before we get into, like, why we procrastinate, yeah, let's talk about, you know, why procrastination is bad and, like, why people go see psychologists and shrinks to be like, I'm a procrastinator. My life is terrible. Like, how how does procrastination affect our quality of life on an individual level? Yeah, I, I got actually to develop what's considered the definitive definition of that one too. Of what is procrastination? And there's been a lot of different attempts over it over the years, but they pretty much all have one thing in common. There's got to be some type of negative aspect. So it's and I, I there's a long version. I'll give you the short one. It's putting off despite expecting to be worse off. So that it's kind of, you know, other people call it the irrational delay. So it's not scheduling. I mean, you wouldn't say I'm planning to go on a trip today on a lake and there's a gigantic storm and almost certain death if I go out. So I'll put it off to tomorrow. And I'm so, so you're procrastinating. No, we don't use it in that way. So you need, you need more than just delay. It's a particular type of delay. It's a delay that where you think you should do it now by your standards. So you think I should do this now, but you don't. You, you look inside your heart and the motivation just isn't there. And sometimes after that, we kind of go in, then it can get a little Freudian where we kind of do defensive mechanisms where people then justify the, the delay after the fact. First, they decide the delay and then they try and find reasons after already made the decision to retroactively justify that decision. And some people are pretty good at it, pretty good at basically covering their tracks, but there's ways of kind of ferreting it out. But that that's what makes it putting off. So if you think generally, no, 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 I should do this later, it'd be best to do it later. You may, might playfully call that procrastination, but it's not. You would actually have to think to yourself, I should be doing that now, and yet I don't. Gotcha. And you give a lot of examples of where this can have, you know, pretty dire consequences for people professionally, with their finances, in their relationships with like their family and loved ones. Like, you know, okay, speaking of PhDs, like you talk about people who pretty much do everything they need to do to graduate with a PhD, but they don't write their dissertation. Yeah, the the ABDs, the all but dissertation, which is B A D, of course, right? And it's, that's, that's a common example for I'm from a professor. So of course it's going to come to mind, but it's, you can think of anything from your own life where, gee, if I didn't do that now, or if I don't attend to it now or soon, 
I'm going to be in really, really dire straits. Well, there's people who procrastinate that off beyond that to anything. I mean, one of the, one of the, the key examples is, um, you know, health. And let's say, um, here's a common one. A, somebody's doing a little self exam, a woman's doing a little self examination. She finds a lump in her breast. Okay. Logically, what should she do? She should go to the doctor about it as soon as possible. But that, you know, she's, she's frightened about what she might find out. So she kind of, you know, she said, you know, that's probably nothing. And there are lots and lots of examples of this. I mean, the, the, another one of that is super common is uh, colonoscopies. So you really should get one pretty regularly. And if you don't, you're kind of risking, um, you're risking cancer. So, you know, it's kind of unpleasant. It's a little bit embarrassing. And as I say, you know, people would rather risk dying of cancer later than have the certainty of dying of embarrassment now. And, you know, that's this, you know, I killed my, um, actually that, in truth, that did, I killed my, uh, uh, my stepmother. She, she didn't get it done and she got the cancer and she died. That's, that's actually happened. So that is as bad as procrastination get. Of course, no, we kind of, at the low end, it's kind of funny. It's like the, uh, somebody still has their Christmas lights and it's coming up to April, right? That's, you know, they're, they're thinking, well, just a few more months and I'll be halfway back again, right? Or little, little kind of small things. So we can, we, we procrastinate the small things and we have small costs for it. And we can procrastinate the big things and have big costs. So, you know, dealing with problems in your marriage, dealing with health, dealing with your finances, and anything you thought you should have done now and put up for later, that's basically only the cost of procrastination is only defined by that task that you decide to delay. But we are so set in our way we are, our minds evolved that we really have a tremendous time making the future real in the present. It's just, it, it's built into our DNA and our brain's architecture. So we have to kind of, I say, you know, to defeat procrastination, you have to act uh, not as nature intended. We have to act in a way that our brains weren't really designed to. Well, let's let's dig into that because that will allow us to flesh out this procrastination equation. So what are, sure. what is the procrastination equation? Like what are the elements of the formula? Yeah, and, and this is something that, that meta-analysis study studies came out. I mean, it's, it's basically you're bowling down the, uh, the literature and just seeing what's the residue at the end, you know, what's the, what is the final components and all of them came. And there's a lot, they studied a lot of stuff. We did study perfectionism. You know, we studied, we even, you know, death anxiety was one of those papers on it. But there's three factors that came up again and again as by easily the biggest predictors of procrastination and it made perfect sense one was your kind of um self-confidence or you know self-efficacy and this is you know do you believe you can do the task and you know this kind of goes back to and this is not a new new thing it's it's a million books you know if you believe you can or believe you can't you're right that's a bit of hyperbole right but you know the truth is if you believe you can't your motivation goes down you're likely to put in the effort so you probably will have less success. That doesn't trip off the tongue as much, but you know, the, the facts are there. So self-confidence, that's a down, that's a spike downwards. That's one. Two is value or or the excitement of the task, the intrinsic motivation attached to it. 
So when the things you think of things you're putting off, usually they're boring. A lot of them are boring. And though you think, well, I should be doing them, you don't really want to. And boredom is nature's way of saying it's not important. It's wrong in a lot of cases because there's a lot of boring things like doing your taxes, which are important. But it's hard to get over that natural impulse. So the more unpleasant or, or, or difficult a task is, the less likely we're doing it. And this is, um, there's a lot of people screw that one up a lot. I mean, one of the simple things that we can talk about this later is just simply allocating your most difficult tasks when you have the most energy and they're going to be the, you know, least adversive. And there's other ways of making things better, but that would, that's, that's a big contributor. And because we all have different things we dislike, you find you have neat things like some people procrastinate cleaning and some people procrastinate by cleaning. Right? But the third one is the big driver. This one makes everything else kind of worse and often enough in itself. And that's, it's, a, it's a personality trait called impulsiveness. And if you're impulsive, it means that you're spontaneous, you, you know, you're great in the moment, you might have a great kind of wit, but it also means that you have tremendous difficulty focusing on the future. Some people call it temporal discounting. You have a high temporal discount rate. So the future kind of is worth far, far less than the present. So you only really feel motivation until just before deadlines. And you can model all these three variables out into a kind of a procrastination equation. So, you know, expectancy times value divided by a, a temporal dimension, time, which is made worse by impulsiveness. And it works really, really well for accounting almost every element and every intervention and um, every situation that we see for procrastination. Okay, well, there's a lot to unpack there. Yep. But let's do a quick recap. So the procrastination equation determines our motivation to complete a task. And the way the factors into that motivation are expectancy times value divided by impulsiveness times delay. So expectancy, I guess, is the perceived chance of us getting that reward or suffering that bad consequence for not doing a task. You multiply that by the value, which is, I guess, the size of the reward or size of the bad consequence. So if there's a good chance that you're going to get the good consequence or the bad consequence, and the consequence is either really big positive or really big negative, you're going to be motivated, more motivated to complete the task. But you have to divide that by these downsides, which is impulsiveness, which is our tendency to get distracted. And you multiply impulsiveness times delay, which is the period, the time between now and the task reward or completion. So if you're really impulsive, get distracted easily, and the, the reward or the consequence is way out in the future, well, that's going to uh, bring down your motivation. So you divide all that by that. So it sounds like you can do different things to tweak your motivation. So you can increase expect expectancy or you can increase the value of the reward or you can focus on eliminating the downsides, decreasing impulsivity and decreasing the delay by by having more immediate set deadlines instead of having a way out in the future. So let, let's let's look at how we can tinker with the procrastination equation to... Well, here's the question. Like, is it possible to alleviate procrastination 100% or is this something that you you at best can just manage by tweaking certain like a few things? 
Yeah, I think the latter. It's uh, it's too much part of us to really in- entirely eliminate. I mean, it, it's almost a perfect storm between who we are and what the world is. Um, we've been tracking this as a society since I, uh, I got the, some of the earliest reports from historical records from the early 20th century. And it's just been, it's, and then we started doing some actual proper scientific measures in like the 1970s. And just from then to now, it's, it's been about a 500% explosion in the rate of chronic procrastination. Most people, um, if they start early, it's such an exception. It's not an occasional thing. It's all the time thing. And we're kind of want to beat it back down to an occasional thing. So it's, yeah, I procrastinate a little bit. If I had to say it about vices, it's my ninth, you know, you know, or eighth. It's, it's down there. I do it sometimes. It's not a big concern, you know, and yeah, it makes me a little human. Sometimes it's a little annoying, but it's not life defining. That's, that's a win. We're going to take a quick break for your words from our sponsors. Indochino is the world's most exciting menswear company. They make suits and shirts to your exact measurements for unparalleled fit and comfort, all available in a wide selection of high-quality fabrics and colors with the option to personalize details like your lapel, lining, pockets, buttons, and writing your own monogram. I got a custom suit from Indochino. It's navy blue. Process was super easy. I got to first customize everything I wanted, how I wanted the lapels to look. I got no cuffs on mine, no pleats on this suit. Other details you can comfort, even the inside lining of your suit jacket. Then you follow their measuring guide, super easy. In four weeks, had a made-to-measure suit that fit me perfectly, sent to my door, and I paid the same price as what I would pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And now... Indochino is expanding to casual clothing with their made-to-measure chinos. These will quickly become your go-to pant, pairing easily with anything from a suit jacket to a sweater. They're perfect for any time of year and any occasion, from boardroom meetings to Sunday brunches, and available at an introductory price of just $79. Better yet, this week, my listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $359 at Indochino.com. Just enter code MANLINESS at checkout. That's 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit, plus shipping is free. Just go to Indochino.com, use promo code MANLINESS to get any premium suit for just $359 and free shipping. This is an incredible deal for a premium made-to-measure suit. Do it today. And are you a football fan looking for expert coverage analysis of the NFL this season? Look no further. NFL Podcast has you covered. Interested in the latest news from around the league? The Around the NFL Podcast crew has exclusive access to industry insiders and team personnel, allowing you, the listener, to feel in on all the action. Perhaps you'd like to learn more of your favorite players and analysts break things down on and off the field? Then don't miss out on the Dave Damashek football program as Damashek and his guests operate on a strict no-jive policy, only honest, unfiltered opinions allowed, or maybe you're more devoted than the average NFL fan. If so, be sure to check out the Move the Sticks podcast hosted by former NFL scouts Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks. Make sure to follow along with NFL podcast for bold predictions and insights into who will be the next big star. Subscribe now to Around the NFL, the Dave Damashek football program, and Move the Sticks on your favorite podcast app or NFL.com. And now back to the show. Right. No, that makes sense. So yeah, we're looking for containment, looking for mitigation. So let's talk about how we can mitigate procrastination by tinkering with the, oh, yeah, sure. the procrastination equation. So like uh, this, the expectancy and value components, like what can we do with those things to cause us to you know, more likely be motivated to start doing the thing we know we need to do? All right. Well, they're, they're actually somebody... Uh... As Alex Vermeer actually made an infographic about it. So when you're actually looking at the te- techniques, there's literally, I, I think about, you know, close to 20 of them. I mean, about 10 per side about what works effectively. 
So, you know, we can't cover them all, but there's some easy ones to do, right? And in fact, one of the easiest ones is that there may be not any that much trouble with your your goal at all. You know, maybe there's nothing wrong with your goal or what you're trying to do. It's just you're trying to do it in an environment where there's a lot of temptation. So you can think about, well, when I procrastinate, what am I doing? Is it something on my phone? Is it something on my computer? Is it something, you know, it's a TV? And it's, okay, great. Let's start with those temptations first. Can we make them less reliable? Like instead of increase their expectancy, lower it. Instead of making them more enjoyable, let's make them less enjoyable. And you have all these techniques, like, for example, some people grayscale their phone. All of a sudden, without grays, you know, in the gray, it's all those apps and stuff aren't, them, aren't as fun anymore. You know, it's the color, it's the pop that makes them go. Or um, some people, one easy one is, and this is what you really, really should do. I mean, trust me, if you do this, you'll be a much happier person. You know, laptops and everything are getting pretty cheap. Uh, get a second one for your gaming. Right. Get a dedicated and get a, get a, get another one for your work and don't mix the two. You know, have, if you're doing work in your office, have it for work. You know, have that a temple of work. And if you want to take a break and goof off, fine, but just do it someplace else. The, the brain will eventually make associations between the location and the activity. Right now, when people do both in the same place, it's, it's, it gets confused. It's kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm being tweaked. I'm being, I'm being cued to play or, or work. And it's kind of like, you know, like a cat scratching a door. Should I play now? Should I play? So the moment you're weak, you, you kind of have a moment of weakness, all of a sudden you're distracted and doing something else. That happens because you did two things in the same place. So start off by looking at your temptations and seeing if, can I get them further away from me? Can I make them less obvious? You know, I, you know, as I say, the, you know, the cookies, you know, on the counter, nice and hot, aren't going to be eaten quite as fast as one in the tin, which you've put in the pantry, you know, out of sight, out of mind, is not going to be eaten as fast as the ones, you know, right available to, which means if you had to go to the store and buy them, they might not get eaten at all. So, you know, availability. But for actual, if you want to know, like, if, let's say we go through that and we actually have a, a specific task that you really kind of like, well, how can I make this make this more successful? No, one is a classic, and this is one that a lot of people know, and it's it's a variation of goal setting. So you must have covered goal setting already. Of course. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, lots of times. Yeah. Yeah. Did you do smart goals or something else? No, we didn't cover smart goals, but I know of smart goals. Yeah. But do you know the history of smart goals? I don't. I know. You should look it up. It's actually kind of interesting. It comes from about a 1982 newsletter. I think by this guy called Greg Doran. And he was just spitballing about, you know, and he was talking about what works for team management. And it, you know, people loved it. And it, you know, went all, you know, people started using it all the time and re, re specifying it. But in parallel, there was probably like about a few, I, 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 I'm probably not exaggerating when I said a million hours of research done in this from the science side into actually how to kind of create proper goals. And the reasoning is kind of like something along the lines of reverse engineering. So let's say, when, when do most people have their motivation? It's just before the deadline, right? Right. That's the essence of procrastination. So let's take a look at that. That's a naturally occurring event, all right? So 
And then we try and devise the features with it that is associated, that allows people to kind of where they get the pop and say, okay, here's a naturally occurring one. Now can we create artificial ones? What aspects of this, this deadline that, that can we create on our own so that we can actually have motivation when it's convenient to us? Cause did you, if you didn't create that deadline yourself, that means somebody else determined when your motivation happened. Because it happens just before the deadline. So if you can create artificial ones that have the same properties, you can create them when you want and, ha- and have your motivation when you want. But I say um, most people, their motivation, you know, is occurring like a fire hose just before it's due. It's coming out like, you know, and but like an eyedropper earlier on when it's convenient. And really what they want is they want to be able just to turn on a tap and get a nice tall glass of motivation. Right. Yeah, that's enough. That's what I need. But there's, it doesn't seem to be under the control. And so they found that there's basically three, maybe four, if you want to key features of it. And one was this is controlling the expectancy. I'm circling around now and answering that is to make it challenging. So you can cut a big project into smaller pieces. And again, you know, that old adage about, you know, how you eat an elephant one bite at a time you can make a project into smaller and manageable and doable pieces. But they say, you know, you don't want to make it too small. You want to make it somewhat so there's a little bit of, you know, you know there's something stumbling on the table. So you want to make it challenging, but not so challenging that you don't think you can do it. So you can control your expectancy that way. The second one, and this is where most people fall down and don't do it correctly. You want to make them specific. Specific is basically how the limbic system gets communicated to, and that's your seat of your emotions, where the amygdala is, and that's where you have your strong kind of feelings. So you're trying to create plans with your prefrontal cortex, but they get enacted by the limbic system. Limbic system doesn't like anything that's abstract, like things like concrete, exactly when, what, where, what am I doing, where's the deadline, line of sight goals. It loves that. So you have to, if you're saying like, well, I'm going to exercise this weekend, it's, oh, it's admirable, but it's not a good goal. If you're going to say, I'm going to exercise this Saturday morning, immediately after breakfast, I'm going to pick up my bag, my favorite fare of runners. I've got my car keys in the corner there. I'm going to make it to this 8.30 class, which means I'm going to leave at 8.10. And I'm going to do that class and then come home. Yeah, that's a goal. And you see that level of specificity with the later one, that's what you need to have in order to really activate it. And um, short-term is better than long-term. So it should be more immediate. And you can experiment with that. Some people even have to, to pop, motivationally pop a kind of a particularly resistant or sticky task. You do a 10-minute goal just to kind of get it going. But you don't want to live a life in a series of 10-minute goals. It gets really tedious. And then it's best if it's approach. This is the last one. So avoidance goals really don't work well. So it's, it's like, I'm not going to eat dessert. That's an avoidance goal. I'm not, I'm not going to watch TV. No, it's, those are bad goals. Because then you have to be soon not doing something. If you want to have it like, uh, I'm going to uh, approach goals like I'm eating, I'm eating more salads. No, fill up on salads. That's something you're going to do. That's a good choice. 
or I'm going out for a walk or I'm seeing some friends. It's, it's what you want to paper over that, that activity you're avoiding with is a much better way of doing it. You need to, they say they talk about needing replacement behavior and much more effective. So uh, the thing is, is, we actually have all the science pretty much down. We actually, there's very little new in the motivational field, very little techniques. And the ones we've got work really, really well. It's really now just kind of getting them out. I, I often thought that, you know, it should be actually part of a high school curriculum, just, you know, how to motivate yourself instead of having complaining about kids about, well, they're not getting things done on time. Hope they figure it out. You know, you know, there's, we could actually give this and, you know, a dozen other effective techniques and get them trained up with a little bit of help. But, you know, right now, you know, people have to kind of, you know, if they're lucky enough, you know, they'll get some good resources on it. I, again, I like my book, but I'm not the only, I'm not the only person out there. There's other places you can go, but then you still have to figure it out yourself and how to apply it. So you might have the right plan, but you don't implement it perfectly because you're doing it yourself for the first time. Then you get frustrated and you might walk away, but they're all, all really doable, all really effective. Right. Um, so just to recap, you want to set very specific goals because that fires up our limbic system and our limbic system is what That's gets right. our executive function, executive control going. And then you want, yep. what was the, the, the third one? Oh, um, I, I, I try to get this to a, a mnemonic, like uh, smart goals, because smart goals were so cool. Right. So like, how can I get this to, and the best I could do was uh, the CSI approach. So, you know, crime scenes investigation. So, but instead this is challenging, specific, immediate okay. approach goals. Challenging, specific, immediate. All right. Yeah, immediate. Like, uh, yeah. So it's, it's short term. So we've been talking a lot of tactics to increase the expectancy of achieving the goal, the value by making it more immediate, specific, all those things. But then the, the other component to the equation is impulsivity, right? You divide all that by impulsivity. And as you said, that's, we're wired for and be, to be impulsive. And so some of the tactics you talked about is put those temptations that cause you to be impulsive, like get them out of your just basically get them out of your environment as much as you can. I mean, what about, I mean, what about people who are like, as you said, there's like a genetic component to impulsivity. What about those people? Like, do they just have to work extra? I mean, cause like, it's kind of weird. You have to like do some front end work. Like you have to be like not impulsive in the front end to get a handle on your impulsivity that you know you'll experience when the moment arises. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would say there's, there's some things that are actually are effective really quick. So we recommend starting that just so you can get the quick wins and that'll you know feel better. And you don't have to do everything. There are like a, a, a especially for impulsivity, there's like about seven different techniques. But, and, you know, even down to making things less obvious. I mean, when we have a lot of ones that people, for, for example, that really kind of hits their, Productivity is checking email too much, right? If you actually just stop checking email and got more into flow state, and that's where people say they do the best work is we're actually when they're concentrating on one thing at the time. And that's when we, we verified it and said, yeah, they're definitely correct about that. But then you go check your email and you're checking your email and people, you're not really choosing to actually. What you're doing, responding to, a, to the ding, 
like, you know, like almost a Pavlovian response. So the thing goes, you check your email, you'd look at it, you're getting a variable reinforcement schedule. Sometimes there's something interesting there. Most of the time there isn't. And so, you know, you go through and you do this again and again, and you actually get a little drip of dopamine as you're just about to check your email. It's like, could it be something interesting? Could it be? No, it's not. But that little, could it be actually is rewarding itself. So the thing is, simple thing is go and turn off your, your, those dings, the, those cues, those visual and auditory markers. You take, doesn't take long. You can do that in 30 seconds. And some people say, well, there, you just gained two months a year. Very easy. You know, you know here you, some people say more. And that didn't take any time. But if this principle was there, was it, if you have temptations and you make them, and you'd almost kind of reverse engineering that CSI approach, right? So if you can make them from obvious, you know, specific to something a little more abstract, to immediate to something delayed, their mode of their power goes down. And there's a variety of ways of kind of, again, doing this. The, the biggest, the ultimate goal is for all these techniques is not to use them every day. You're kind of like almost like physiotherapy. If you got into a car accident, say your muscles atrophied and you're just saying, okay, well, go and walk. So I can't, you know, I said, I need, yeah, you're right. You can't, you need a little bit of, uh, uh, apparatus around you to regain your strength. But eventually you don't want to have those even bars around and you want to be able to walk on your own. So a lot of these techniques are exactly that because ultimately where you want to get to is habit. So if you have a workout routine and you're doing it again and again and you're making it really, really predictable, eventually just do it without even thinking about it. It's not a big deal. If you have a workout routine where it's, oh, what, what day is it going to be this week? What am I doing this week? And yeah, that makes it motivationally difficult. You know, and so, you know, I, if you say, I want to go home and pick up my bag before going to the gym, well, once you get home, there's so much temptation. I'll just take five minutes in front of the TV, somebody says, or going to make my snack. Then that's it, right? The day's gone. If you left in your car and drove to the gym first, maybe just have like a, you know, a granola bar or something like that, give yourself a little energy, then the gym is the cue. You know, you're not home. It, it, it's, it's respecting that you, we are vulnerable to these impulsive action is essentially the first step. That you saying, if I go home, I know enough about myself that I am going to probably give in. So I better not go home. And it's people who actually acknowledge they are have these motivational weaknesses that tend to do better. People who pretend they don't, that they're kind of do are of robotic perfection, put themselves in a situation which makes them vulnerable, and then they give it. So two tactics that I've used successfully in my own life that you talk about in the book. One is to increase expectancy or the perceived chance of you accomplishing that big task is by breaking it down to smaller components. So you mentioned earlier you know, working just in 10-minute increments. I've done that whenever I've been putting off an article I've been writing or my taxes or some other undesirable task. I just tell myself, I'm going to work on this for 10 to 15 minutes. What ends up usually happening is it sort of primes the pump, so I keep going. But even if I don't, like, you know, I don't want to work on it anymore. It's like, well, I made 10 minutes of progress. So that's helpful. The other one is using that pre-commitment, which this is battling impulsivity and delay. Uh, so I've used app uh, the website Stick 
to you know put money on the line. I say if I don't accomplish this task by a certain date, I've got to pay you know cough up uh, you know some money, and you have to make it sort of significant so it hurts. Um, and you can even double the hurting, the pain of it, if by not accomplishing the task by uh, making the money go to an organization that contradicts some sort of core belief of yours. So if you're a Republican, you can have the money go to a Democratic Party, the Democratic Party, if you don't complete the task. If you're an environmentalist, you can have it go to some, you know, organization that supports oil drilling or something like that. So those two have been really helpful for me that I've used successfully. We've got the techniques down. They work really, really well. Now it's just finding the right one for you and making sure you implement it properly. Is there some place people can go to like find, I mean, do you have like a website where you've like laid out your research and with some of these tactics? Well, yeah, I have, uh, I have uh, a website and you know, of course is my book, right? Fantastic. Well, Pierce Steele, this has been a great conversation. Thanks so much for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. I, ho- I hope you got everything you needed. My guest today was Dr. Pierce Steele. He's the author of the book, The Procrastination Equation. It's available on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. You can find out more information about his work at his website, Procrastinus. That's P-R-O-C-R-A-S-T-I-N-U-S.com. Also check out our show notes at aom.is slash procrastination equation, where you can find links to resources, including that flowchart Dr. Steele mentioned in the podcast about different ways to hack the procrastination equation. We'll have a link there as well as other links where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, make sure to check out the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And if you enjoy the show, you've gotten something out of it, I'd appreciate it if you take one minute to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think gets something out of it. As always, thank you for your continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay telling you to stay manly. University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.